A fabringen, in Yiddish a term meaning a joyous gathering, but it's really so much more. It's insight, it's inspiration, it's the bottom line. Join Rabbi Levi Avton, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. for the Fabringen, only on 101.9 High FM. This is 101.9 High FM. My name is Rabbi Levi Avton from Linksville Shul, and it's good to be back with you on this Tuesday and every day. Um, please God, we can share some of inspiration and uh, grow grow together. I know we're going through difficult times. I'm talking to you live. This is not pre-recorded. And we've been almost in 48 hours of uh, rioting, 18 months of COVID, etc., etc., etc. I'm not going to belabor the point and sit on the challenges. But there's no question that finding inspiration is not the easiest. It's not easy to dig deep and find a message and I'll be honest I've been struggling a lot leading up to the show and in general with with myself what's the right message for the time you know different stages in our lives deserve different messages King Solomon writes there's a time and space for everything there's a time to love, there's a time to hate, there's a time for war, there's a time for peace, there's a time for tears, there's a time for joy. Now, you might say that that's a very simplistic, easy idea, but it's not, because one of the... You could see when people don't have this knowledge, when people are tactless, when people don't have the emotional intelligence, and they'll come and they'll say something that's inappropriate for the time, the right thing at the wrong space. Um, you know, go into a shiva house and maybe crack a joke that doesn't fit or go to a simcha and bring a lot of depression. The point is that King Shlomo King Solomon tells us there's, there's a time and space for everything. And when we are going through these difficult times, it's, it's a challenge what to figure out the right message to tell ourselves and to tell each other. Because on the one hand, we need validation. We, you know, our feelings are real. The challenges are real. Some of them aren't. Some of them are just hype, but a lot of them are real. A lot of the issues that we're facing are real. On the other hand, we all need hope and we all need inspiration and we all need to believe that it's, it will get better and things do turn around. And that's really the, the message that we're going to have to straddle. Um, during this time is on the one day, on the one hand, and I'll say it right now, you know, I might not be able to bring it across every two minutes of the show, but it's important for me to say now as an introduction that nothing that we talk about invalidates the, the true pain. I could talk for myself personally as a rabbi. I buried two young fathers under the age of 60 in the last 10 days. Um, two young men under the age of 60 from COVID. And unfortunately, you know, have, have faced and seen tremendous pain and tragedy. And that's in my just, my little milieu. And the pain is real. The pain is hectic. You know, I just spoke to somebody whose business was burned down yesterday. It's real. No, no one's, no one's invalidating it. At the same time, we need inspiration. We need hope. And the question then approaches, what is the message of hope? 
The first and foremost, the most important message, I believe, is to know that the world is not a jungle. That although it sometimes feels like a jungle, it's not. And this is something that my teacher, Lubavitch Rebbe, used to say a lot. He's, he would quote from the verse, Basi Lagani, this is from Song of Songs, King Solomon also, quoting King Solomon again, where God says, I have come to my garden, my sister, my bride. And my garden refers to this world. And God's telling the Jewish people, God's telling us, I've come to my garden, my sister, my bride. I've, I've come here to this world, which is a garden. And that simple idea is something that we have to internalize as people of faith. Because what does it mean when we say, you know, there's a God? A lot of people say they believe in God. A majority of the world, or at least the Western world, say they believe in some form of God. But the question is, what does that imply? That there's a God that's involved or that there's a God that's observing? A lot of people see God as an observing God. In other words, a God that's outside reality and just observing it, kind of watching a TV screen the whole time, watching CTV cameras, CCTV cameras. But truly believing in God is believing that God is everything and everywhere and nothing happens outside his domain. And that this world, despite the fact that at times it feels like a jungle and people in it behave as if it's wild and chaotic. And the truth is, a jungle is the wrong description because a jungle just follows the laws of nature. So a jungle might be wild, but it's, it's, it's the laws of nature. Each animal is doing what it needs to do. Versus when people misbehave, it's not really the laws of the jungle. It's, it's human beings who have the capacity to overcome their nature giving it to the lowest basic impulse. But even when we feel that we're looking at a jungle and it's mad and it's chaotic, as a believer, we remember this place is a garden, this place is beautiful. And this is not convincing ourselves stuff. In other words, it's not playing mind games with yourself. It's still being able to see incredible goodness and, and light. And let me again say, nothing I say diminishes any of the reality we're going through. But I think to myself, I say, with all the chaos that's going on, 99% of this country is not being violent right now. 99% of this country is praying for peace. The, the menace, the, the the people who are, you know, going around destroying are much less than 1%. They're a very vocal 1% and they're causing tremendous damage. But we tend to forget how many people technically could have, would have, if they wished, they could have, would have joined the chaos, but they're not. People of goodwill, people of peace, people of kindness, people who are trying to protect their communities. Because often what happens is when we, when we witness pain, we the pain is so searing and so overbearing that it, it, it paints our vision. And all we see is, is a country in anarchy. And yes, there's anarchy, but this is not the, the people of the country, the majority, major majority of this country. 
are peace-loving people. I come from the U.S., as you can hear from my accent. I've lived in this country by now close to 11 years. I didn't live through 94. I didn't live through the early 2000s. I moved here in 2010, in October. So I witnessed the last decade. And we had various episodes in this last decade, a lot of corruption, violence. I personally, you know, went through a very, quite a violent episode a few years back. Seen, you know, we've seen quite a bit. And for those who've lived here much longer than a decade, they've seen much more. At the same time, I am the biggest fan of this country. Not the biggest, it's hard to claim that, but I'm, I'm a very big fan. But I grew up in, in other countries. I spent most of my life in the United States, two years in Israel, a year in Europe. So, you know, seen my little experience around the planet. And there is nothing like the South African society. And I'm not only talking about our intimate community, I'm talking about the general community. I always joke that in New York, if you look in the eye of somebody you don't know, they start cursing you or threatening you over here. If you don't greet somebody on the street, they get offended. <laughs> you know, sometimes I come across as callous when I'm going to a store and I'm waiting on the till and I don't greet the person. And the person will, the, the person at the till will always, you know, if they see I'm not greeting them, will like kind of look, turn to me and say, Good afternoon, sir. Like, why are you, why are you ignoring me? And I always feel so terrible, but like, I didn't grow up that way. You don't greet, you just ignore, you just, you don't, you don't talk to strangers. And over here in this society, it's so warm, it's so, so beautiful. You greet everybody on the street. And I think for many who've lived here their, their whole life and all they, you know, imagine is, they imagine the United States and Australia and England based on what they see on TV. We don't appreciate that, yes, with all the challenges this country has, this place is incredibly blessed. And I mean incredibly blessed. The people over here are next level. And in this chaotic time, you see incredible greatness. You know, we're for, with all the rioting, we're forgetting about all the good that's being done in this country, the, the medical community the paramedics, the people who are dealing with, with COVID, the, the, the families, the love, the community. In this moment, we dare not forget the goodness because then we slip and we start painting our reality very one-dimensional. And when we see reality through one dimension, it never does us any favors. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Avton on 101.9 High FM. This is 101.9 Chaifa. My name is Rabbi Levi Arsen, and talking to you to, today in the middle of a difficult week for the, here, all of us here in South Africa. Difficult times, strange times. I think back to March 2020 in, the, in New York with all, with the crazy, um, May actually, 2020, they were having the COVID and they were having the riots all across the United States. Um, the riots recently in Israel and riots here in, in various portions of the country. And I think to myself and I say, gosh, 
you know, there's many, many, um, many ways of unpacking what's going on, and I don't consider myself a major political commentator. But there's no question that the last year and a half has, for many of us, brought out our best, and for many of us, brought out our worst. And for some, maybe both. You know, one day our best, one day our worst. The anxiety that people are feeling, and the the hopelessness, it's, it's, it's not bringing out the prettiest parts um, within people. For some people, it means it's affecting their relationships, their marriages, there's, you know, family dynamics, communal dynamics. For some people, it's playing out in much violent forms, what's going on right now in KZN and in Gauteng. And obviously, there's multiple reasons, but there's no question that people's lockdown fatigue and anxiety is playing some factor in what's going on in the chaos. And it's also playing a factor in people's hopelessness. In other words, for those of us watching on the sidelines what's going on, obviously, you know, being good citizens and not participating in the madness, we look and it just deepens the hopelessness, it deepens the despondency, deepens the, the frustration. But that doesn't that does nobody no favors. That does not the country, not our families, not ourselves. And one of the big reframes we've had to do in the last 18 months is our expectations of life. What do I mean? Today is the yard site. Um, it's the anniversary of passing the 13th yard site of my grandfather, my mother's father. I've spoken about him on the radio before. His name was Aaron Khazan, and he wrote a book called Deep in the Russian Night. And... I often think about my grandfather and my, my grandmother, whose yard site's in two weeks, and my other grandparents and many other people. But I'm going to talk about him today. It's his yard site and the life he lived. And the despondency that could have literally ended his life. And yet, I, you know, I'm on radio now. I'm not on TV, so I can't show you something. But on a family group that you know, of my mother's family, my maternal family. They asked for all the children named after my grandfather in the last 13 years, all his grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and great-great-grandchildren to, to send pictures. And by now, there's, a, I believe, 35 pictures that have come in of his living descendants just in 13 years, many more to come, please God, named after him, our own. My oldest son is named after him. And just to see that and to get the context of his life, which I will share in the next few minutes, gives me tremendous faith and gives me tremendous optimism because I, I, I have a history to look back on. And I believe we all have a history. We have our own story. We have the country's history. We have our grandparents. We have our all of history. We have our nation. We, we have lots of history to look back on and, and hold on to hope. So let me tell you a little bit about my grandfather and may this be in his memory. My grandfather was born in the early 1900s in Ukraine in a city that was 
translated to English is the Red Lake. And the reason it's called the Red Lake, or in, in the actual name is called Krasnostav, in Ukraine means Red Lake, Red River, is because the city was built next to a river that, according to legend, during uh, a major massacre of the Cossacks a few hundred years ago, they killed so many people by this river that the river turned red. So that's the... Sorry for the laugh, but... That's the uncomfortable left, like to give you context of the city he was born into. And his father was the rabbi of the city, my great-grandfather, Mordechai Chazan. Now, Mordechai Chazan would eventually be killed by the Nazis 80 years ago, almost to the, in, in a few weeks will be the 80th Yorkzeit, when he was shot together with his whole family, my grandfather's brother, sister, father, mother, and four nephews were all shot in one pit and buried alive 80 years ago in September the 6th of Elul, which is a month and two days from today. And he literally lived with nothing. My grandfather was left with nothing, not a single living relative. He had cousins that survived, but no immediate family. But besides that, my grandfather was, as I mentioned, was born into the city as the son of the rabbi, and within a few years after he was born, um, there was a major revolution, the Russian Revolution, in 1918, 1917, and the communists took over. And what started off as a nice ideal that everyone's created equal uh, didn't last very long, and some were more equal than others, especially those who didn't buy into the communist ideology. And my grandfather was one of them, because to buy into the communist ideology, he would have to drop his religious ideals. You couldn't be a religious Jew and be a communist. So because he wasn't willing to um, give in, he was treated as trash. And the only job he was able to get to keep himself alive and keep himself out of prison because if you didn't have a job, you were a waste on the communist regime, was to become a bricklayer. And he spent many years in the 1920s, the late 20s and early 30s, laying bricks. Now, one of the things that people don't know is that in the early 1930s, the communist regime went on a mass starvation campaign. I don't know if the word's campaign, but uh, they starved a big part of Ukraine, according to unofficial numbers, six million people died in Ukraine from starvation because that was the way that the communists were going to take commercialize all the property, take it away from commerce and, and make it part of the government, some sick strategy from Stalin and his cronies. And my grandfather almost starved to death. A lot of his community, a lot of his friends starved to death. Unfortunately, by this time, he was the only religious kid in the entire town, him and his brother. Everyone else became communist. It was just the only way to survive. And my grandfather describes his incredible, bleak future. He said, he, he describes in his book how he's laying bricks, hated by everybody. Everyone thinks he's an idiot for staying religious. He cannot find a shidduch. He cannot find anyone to marry because there's nobody religious pretty much in the whole of Soviet Union, very few. Can't make a living, starving, 
Is there any hope? And, and I want you to sit with that, moment, with that for a moment. It's like, try to imagine that bleakness. Can't leave the country. There's no way to emigrate. You know, the Soviet Union was the Iron Curtain. Can't emigrate. Nowhere to go. And eventually, through incredible miracles, he meets my grandmother on the other side of Ukraine in the, in the city of Odessa. And she was the daughter of the rabbi of that city. And they get married. They have, they get married towards the end of the 30s. They have a daughter. They have a son. And not too long after that, my grandfather's drafted into the Russian army because now Hitler has uh, taken, you know, broken through to Russia. And my grandfather's forced to draft it into the army. He has no idea what happened to his family. By now, his family, as I mentioned earlier, were massacred. It's a part of the, the war that many people are unfamiliar of, and that is before even many people were sent to concentration camps, the, the, the first mass deaths of Jews was, took place in Russia and Ukraine, where they had these commandos of people that literally would just go from city to city, together with local Ukrainians, gather up the Jews, take them outside the city, and shoot them in mass pits. And a million Jews were killed in that way, including my family. And my grandfather's drafted an army, together with his brother-in-law. My grandfather managed to get out of the army. You know, he had to pull uh, a few tricks and claim he was sick, etc. His brother-in-law didn't, and his brother-in-law never came home, and his wife never knew what happened to him. Um, my great-uncle died somewhere at the front. My grandfather managed to get out of the war and go find his family, who meanwhile had traveled east to Uzbekistan, far away from the front. He comes there and discovers that his son had died from malnutrition and typhus and other crazy illnesses that were going around the time. So just as, I, I want, again, I want to sit on this for a moment. Here's a man lost his father, mother, brother, sister, nephews, niece, nephews. No job. No opportunities. His world is collapsing on him, and now his only son dies. And the, the world's chaotic. And I ask you a simple question. What kind of faith would you hold on to then? What would keep you going? I'll answer that question based on my grandfather's own words after the break. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Avtson on 101.9 High FM. I continue sharing the story of my grandfather whose yard site is today. I mentioned of uh, his entire family dying in World War II and losing his own son. And after the war, most many survivors managed to move out and start new lives in the US, Israel, Australia, Europe, etc. Unfortunately, my grandparents were stuck behind the Iron Curtain and couldn't get out. They did try to get out. There was a small gap in 1946, but by the time they came to the border, the border was hermetically shut, 
and they were not able to get out. And my, my grandparents spent another 20 years living in the Soviet Union till 1966. So again, let me take a break for a moment and just say this. From 1918 till 1966, that's 48 years, my grandparents did not have a day of peace. It was either the communists chasing them or it was the Nazis chasing them. They did not have a day of peace. They were not allowed to live as free people in a free society for one day. The first day pretty much in his life that my grandfather tasted peace was when he landed in Israel in September 1966. Finally, they allowed him out of, the, out of Russia. But until then, he didn't have a day of peace. And yet, in this craziness, where they were not allowed to officially teach their kids Judaism, where they were, my grandfather could not get a decent job because he was not a com part of the Communist Party. In this craziness, my grandparents raised 13 children. <laughs> Let me sit again on that. Most of us live in free societies. We all live in free societies. Yes, things are a bit crazy today, but we live in a free society. And you know very few people who have 13 kids, and and you must probably look at them and say, gosh, what are you thinking? And why would you bring 13 kids into this world? Or even five kids, 10 kids. My grandparents had 13 kids, and that's besides the one son who passed away. So they had 14. 14 kids with no hope. They had no hope of ever getting out of, I mean, they had... They had a hope, but they had no practical plan of ever getting out of the Soviet Union, ever being able to raise their kids in freedom. And yet, they raised 13 children. 12 of them, thank God, are still alive today and may they live long lives. One of my aunts passed away a few years ago from cancer. They live in Israel, they live in the United States, in Italy. They raised and all their children, proud Jews, practicing Jews, passionate Jews. And as I mentioned, he has, my grandfather has 35, 35 to 40 descendants named after him. I mean, you could do the math with 13 kids, 110 grandchildren, and hundreds and hundreds of great-grandchildren, the, the family just multiplies and multiplies, thank God, Baruch Hashem. And for me, when I think about my grandfather, I don't think about, you know, like he was such a brave man, which he was, a superhero. He was a strong man, very, very strong, in other words, very strong resilience, a very hard person to be able to fight um, you know, for 50 years of your life, he fought hard. But he wasn't Superman, he was a human being. And so was my grandmother. And, you know, regular, regular people, but, but who did exceptional. But for me, what inspires me the most is their, they never gave up on life. They never became so morbid that they said, you know what? No point of bringing children into this world. No point of teaching our kids values. The world is going crazy. My grandfather would sit with all his children, his sons, daughters, and teach them. My uncles finished full tractates of the Talmud by their barmy. 
even though their barmy was pretty much just a family locked up in the basement so that the communists won't find them, their bar mitzvah was celebrated with, with, with pride. They never gave up on the fundamental belief that life is a gift, that life is beautiful, and that life is meaningful, that there's meaning in the struggle. I think in our time, one of the things we're struggling with, because we grew up in a time, thank God, of most of our lives, we didn't have to face that much struggle. Definitely not the struggles that our ancestors had to face. We kind of developed an expectation of what life is. That life is a few difficult moments, but ultimately you go from one nice car to the next nice car to the next cruise. And if you can't afford it, then you should feel sorry for yourself because you're not living the life but ultimately a life that's very much based on moments of pleasure, moments of happiness, rather than a life that's based on moments of meaning and struggle. And thank God for that. Thank God we grew up in times that there, you know, that we didn't have to face that much struggle. But what it did, it created a narrative in our mind that the second life is really difficult. It's bleak. We're, we're, we're getting shortchanged from what life is supposed to be, is what the, we tell ourselves in our narrative. Yes, we pray for better times. But friends, difficulty has always been part of life. It is life. And the struggle of being a person of faith and a person of optimism is to do it in moments like this. To believe that better days are ahead of us. That yes, we, we, we feel the pain and we feel the challenge and, we're, and we even feel the fear. But we don't allow it to consume us. Bravery doesn't mean that you're in denial of your feelings. It means you still get up and fight the good fight. You get up and keep on moving. We cannot allow the times we're living in to turn us into cynical, despondent people who kind of give up on the future and feel like the future has been robbed from us. I've seen it in my family. I've seen it in my grandfather's story that when you keep your head held high, you might have to wait even 50 years, but one day you come out of the darkness and you look on and you see incredible, incredible impact. My grandfather today, my grandparents, I don't know the exact number, but have somewhere between 500 to 1,000 living descendants all across the globe, perpetuating their legacy. And this is the same grandfather who was laying bricks in the 1920s, barely surviving starvation, barely believing that he'll ever get married, he'll ever be able to make a life, who lost his whole family and lost his own son in the, in the, in the war. And yet, he, with God's help, he lived long enough to see the light at the end of the tunnel in his own lifetime and to build an incredible legacy, a legacy that I'm so proud to be part of. So when these difficult moments come at us, and they do, unfortunately they're right in front of us as we speak, let's dig deep to our own life story and to our ancestors and to our history. You know, we're in the nine days and we're commemorating the, the destruction and the pain of our history. Let's look for the long arc of history and how it bends not only towards justice, but it bends towards light towards redemption, and please God, to better days for all of us. This is 101.9 High FM.
This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Avtson on 101.9 High FM. This Sunday is Tisha B'Av, 1951 years since the destruction of the Second Temple and two and a half thousand years since the destruction of the First Temple and many other tragedies that happened. And around the world, people will be fasting and focusing on this day on the challenges. It's not as if we need, you know, we don't need a day to focus. Unfortunately, it's right in front of us. But nevertheless, we focus on it. But at the same time, Tisha B'Av is also a day of hope. And that is why, although for the first 12 hours of the fast, we sit on low chairs from midday, Monday, for Sunday, sorry, we go back onto our you know, regular seating and we tell ourselves better days are coming. We focus on the future, not just the past. Because even when we grieve, we can't grieve a full day. We have to as we grieve, we also focus on the optimism. There's sadness, there's pain, there's challenges. I was just reading the news in the break. Fortunately, death and so much other craziness going on in our country right now and so much pain. But there's also faith and optimism. And I encourage us all that although it might be the easy or obvious route to lose faith, to lose optimism, and to lose our confidence in our country and our fellow citizens. Don't. Don't. The major majority of the, this country are good, loving, peace-loving people. It's one of the nicest societies on earth. Please God, the government and the police can get the looting under control. Please God, Things could settle down. Please God, we could all get vaccinated. You know, 35s and older hopefully can register as of this Thursday and then show up and get vaccinated. And please God, we could go to towards better times. It's less than two months away from Rosh Hashanah. We pray for a much better year. May we see it starting to materialize even before the new year, speedily in our time. Finish off with a small piece of a cappella music. Bill Vabi, in my heart, God, I built a home for you. God, please build your home in our world. This is 101.9 FM. Have a great day.